Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Death of Death, where we proclaim Christ's victory over sin, death, and everything else. I'm your host, as always, Nick Stewart. Let's get positive today. You know, God is sovereign, even when things suck. Before we get into that, I had to tell this one story. Uh, Chris Jameson, one of my best friends, devoted listener of the podcast, Patreon supporter, he texted me and told me he was listening to the recent episode I did on critical race theory, and if you've heard that episode, you'll know that I joked about being a white supremacist multiple times, because in the world of critical race theory, I would technically be a white supremacist, uh, because pretty much every white person would be a white supremacist, or at least a contributor uh, to that, <laughs> and so... Now, it goes without saying that in reality, I'm not a white supremacist at all. I mean, everyone should know that, but I couldn't stop from making these jokes over and over and over. Well, I guess uh, Chris paused the podcast, and when he came back to it, he pressed play, and the first thing he heard me say was, uh, now, as a white supremacist, <laughs> so he had to get it, he had to back it up and uh, get the context of what I was saying he shared with me that story, and I just uh, had to share it here. If, if anyone else has an experience like that, I want to know about it. It's time to give another shout-out to another new patron. You guys, so many new patrons lately. Chris Pobletti has joined the elect this week. Uh, Pastor Chris Pobletti of King's Cross Church in Orange County. Address is 12... Nah, just kidding. Um, phone number, 714. No. Um, uh, thank you for signing up and supporting the show really helps the show a lot and means a lot so uh, if you would like to join chris in his support it's four dollars a month that gets you early access to the podcast when possible uh an exclusive podcast once a month that's definitely a benefit that you don't miss out on and uh we're uh, doing christopher hitchens god is not great once a month on on that podcast and uh, whenever possible, you get to vote on what I will talk about on the show. So thanks again, Chris, for signing up. And if you want to uh, join him, you can go to patreon.com slash death of death. On to the show for today. We touched on this a little bit uh, a few weeks ago in episode 52. But I, I think it deserves a, a deeper dive here for another week. Because, you know, things just keep happening. And uh, this wasn't in my notes, but it just... Uh, it seems like every week we can look back and and just think like, ah, oh, man, things were just a little bit better a week ago and give anything to <laughs> go back to 2019 or three weeks ago. Uh, so it just seems like we're kind of constantly heading into more disastrous waters. But um, this is an optimistic show. I have an optimistic theology, but for almost a year now, it just doesn't seem like there's there's much to be optimistic about. So the question is, are bad circumstances enough to change your theology? What would it take to change your view from things are looking up to things are looking down? And, uh, and I guess to frame it more broadly, I could say, like, w what circumstances would justify you changing your theology at all? Any, anything in your theology. You may not think the way that I do. You know, like many things in theology, our, our circumstances don't change the truth. We may feel at times that uh, we're absolutely hopeless and that we will never be true followers of Christ because of the sin that we're fighting in our personal lives. But does that make it true? 
like, no, we are sinners, and without Christ, we are hopeless. Uh, but that's the thing. We do have Christ. He has saved us from our sin. Uh, despite our circumstances, he is sanctifying us, and, and uh, these things are true. So what would it take to change that truth? Um, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 that we don't look to our light and momentary affliction because those very things are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. So one of the habits that we have to break ourselves out of is constantly thinking about our circumstances in such a short-sighted way. Uh, I always use the example of persecution in the early church in Acts. Like, yes, bad things happened. Stephen was stoned. Peter was imprisoned. Uh, you know, Paul was persecuting the church and murdering a bunch of people, you know, but those events were always followed by numerous people getting saved or the gospel being proclaimed in new places or someone like Paul getting saved and completely changing the game. We see that still to this day in China and Iran as those are the fastest growing churches in the world, uh, both places where Christianity is persecuted. Um, we have to stop looking f at things in, in such a short-term way. You know, something is bad right now in the present, but we have no idea how God will use that in the future. So let's look at Psalm 99. Uh, psalm 99 is one of the royal psalms. It's a category of psalms that exalt God as king over the earth. Some of them are messianic, and some just have to do with the kings of Israel, but even those foreshadow and point forward to the better and truer king of Israel, the messianic king, King Jesus. So this is why we can be optimistic, because Jesus is king of the earth. His kingdom is expansive and is gaining ground over the forces of sin and death every day. So let's get into this psalm and see if we can reorient our thinking more toward the kingdom rule of Christ and not so much the less than ideal circumstances we find ourselves in right now or at any other time. And that's the beauty of this sort of thing is that I could, I could be saying the same thing in 2019 and I could probably be saying the same exact thing in 2022. You know, like there, there have always been people saying like, well, you know, I would believe post-millennialism if it wasn't for, you know, the economy or if it wasn't for Barack Obama or Donald Trump. Uh, but the reality is, is that there's always some excuse not to believe what scripture says about the kingdom of Christ and the expansive and and peaceful nature of it, but uh, the reality is is that it's true, and, and our circumstances don't dictate whether it's true or not. So there are three sections to this psalm, uh, verses 1 through 3, uh, 4 through 5, and 6 through 9. Verses 1 through 3 are about God's rule over his people. It says, uh, the Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim, let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. So the Lord reigns over his people. It says the Lord is great in Zion. Zion is sort of synonymous with God's people. It refers to the city of Jerusalem as well as Israel as a whole, but Jerusalem was the center of worship in the life of Israel. It was where God dwelt with his people. It was where the priests carried out their duties in the temple. Uh, so Zion is a huge deal all throughout the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, in Hebrews eleven fifteen through 16, it says, If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, 
they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. This means that the promises in scripture about a land are ultimately fulfilled in the church and Jesus's kingship over the earth. And Jesus says his people are a city on a hill. You know, it's it's a city like Zion. And and Hebrews goes on to say um, in the next chapter over in, in 1222, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. So in some way, we've come to Mount Zion. We've come to God's city, the heavenly Jerusalem. So the church is, in a sense, Zion. I'm not saying it's the fulfillment of Zion, because I think Jesus is the fulfillment of Zion. But, uh, you know, the church, in a sense, has come to Mount Zion. That is what Hebrews tells us. So what Psalm 99 says about God's rule over Zion applies to us as well. He is reigning over his church and indeed the entire planet. Uh, but it also says he, ex- he is exalted over all the peoples. So it maintains that he rules over his people, but that he also rules over everybody else. And this was true at the time this was written, and it's true now. It's easy to see the wickedness of our earthly rulers and not feel like Jesus is king. But once again, that doesn't make it true. Just ask Kanye. Obviously, he, he believes Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord over the entire world, whether people acknowledge it or not. The president of the United States has power over the people who live in America, but Kamala Harris isn't the ultimate authority over us. Jesus is. Even Kamala is under the rule of Christ. So this psalm has a lot of focus on God's holiness as well. Each of these three sections ends with a statement about God being holy. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. And uh, that's just so comforting when compared to very unholy earthly rulers. So let's read on to verses 4 and 5. The king in his might loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. Once again, holy is he. It ends, holy is he. So these verses are telling us a little something about the character of the king. He loves justice. He has established equity. He's the creator of equity. He's the one who established it. There are a lot of people claiming to be all about justice these days, but it's a near impossibility to do so if you reject the one who is the definition of justice. All justice is based on God's justice. He's the definition of right and good. Therefore, he decides what is just and unjust. It's not an arbitrary decision. It's based on the reality of what is. And only God can 100% accurately tell us the way that things are. We're tainted by sin, misinformation, ulterior motives. We also have biases and agendas and those aren't always bad. Like everyone has a bias or an agenda, so they can't all be bad. You know, I, <laughs> I have a, an agenda on this podcast to tell you about theology. Uh, is that a bad agenda? No, but it's an agenda for sure. Uh, but God has no such inefficiencies. So, you know, if we don't base our justice on the definition of justice, our justice will fall short. This section 
ends by telling us to worship and exalt God in verse 7 there. Verse 5, sorry. Verse 5, exalt the Lord our God, worship at his footstool, holy is he. I love when the Psalms contextualize our reasons to worship God. Holy is he. That's that's your context for worshiping God. Um, verses 6 through 7 go on to say, Moses and Aaron were among his priests, Samuel also was among those who called upon his name. They called to the Lord, and he answered them. In the pillar of the cloud he spoke to them. They kept his testimonies and the statute that he gave them. So now the psalm mentions the most prominent priests in Israel's history. It says that they called on the Lord, and he answered them. It's rooting what the psalmist wants to tell you about God's character. It's rooting that character of God in history. It's using using people who actually lived, people that we know about. It, it would be like us in America hearing about, uh, you know, God answering the prayers of George Washington or Thomas Jefferson. Um, you know, it would be like, yeah, those were people that lived not too long ago. You know, <laughs> be amazing to hear that. I'm not saying that, by the way. Uh, not committing any statist blasphemies here. For, uh, verses 8 through 9, our last section here. O Lord, our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their wrongdoings. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. The Lord answered them, and he forgave them. He's the God of justice, the definition of justice, as we found earlier, and yet he forgives his people. How is it possible for a just and holy God to forgive his people? It also says that he's an avenger of their wrongdoings. How is it possible for him to be just and holy and avenge wrongdoings, but also forgive his people? How is it possible for both of these things to be true? Well, we see these most personified in the cross where uh, God poured out his wrath on our wrongdoings, on our sin, and forgave us by shifting that punishment to his son, to the son of God, instead of to us. So how do we look at the world today and accept that God is ruling over the earth? Again, we have to stop being short-sighted in the way that we see things. So think about the way the church has been pruned in the last year. My friend Mario has said many times over the last year that uh, people were exposed for who they truly were, and I couldn't agree more. It did, no matter what side you were on, it exposed you for who you really were. You know, um, I, I was saying on a more political episode uh, for, you know, things we're not really going to get into here, but uh, I was saying like, you know, this is the year now that you, you don't have any choice but to be political. Like if you go to the grocery store and refuse to wear a mask, you're making a political statement. And if you go to the grocery store and submit and wear a mask, you're also making a pretty loud political statement. So it's like we, the, the days of avoiding political controversies are over. Like those days are gone. It, it has exposed everyone for exactly who they are. Uh, you know, the darkness has come to the light and it's a good thing. Believe me. Um, we all 
almost without exception, I would say, we all believed the government when they told us not to go to church for two weeks. And we obeyed that. And I'm including myself in that, by the way. You know, uh, we were all exposed for believing our wicked rulers, for trusting in them. <laughs> you know, like, think about that. I mean, I'm not condemning anyone because I'm, I'm one of you. I also didn't go to church for two weeks because the government told me not to. Um, ultimately I, I would have done it, but you know, whatever the, the point is, the point is think about the implications of that. We were all, uh, we all trusted and obeyed our wicked rulers and were shown to be wrong. That's interesting. Uh, but for those churches that are still closed after all this time, they've been exposed for not taking seriously God's commands to meet together. Some have been exposed as having more faith in the state than they do in God. I know for some of you that sounds extreme, but let's put it in perspective. God tells us to meet together, and the state says not to. Who do we obey? In 2019, that wasn't a hard question, but in 2020, it suddenly got to be a really hard question for everybody. <laughs> you know, What would have to be at stake in order to make disobedience to God appropriate? Now, don't lose the context of what I'm saying. I'm not necessarily saying this is a bad thing in the long term. Some saw their error and finally re realized that they had to obey God over man and suffer the consequences. The church was pruned and some got stronger. Some are still in their error and see no problem with that. And I believe that God will use that too. Some of those will eventually see their error and repent and Lord hasten the day. And some may ultimately fall away from the faith. Like this could be the thing that proved that certain people were never of the faith. In either case, uh, members of the church universal will either repent and be strengthened in their resolve to obey God, or the church will be pruned of false converts. I honestly can't wait for the coming years when Pew Research does a survey or a poll and, uh, you know, they figure out how many people never return to church after the lockdown. Or how many people stopped considering themselves Christians during that time. But, like, this doesn't sound like a podcast on optimism, does it? I'm bringing it back around. Uh, on the bright side of things, uh, on the brighter side of things, um, my, my old church, King's Cross in Rancho Santa Margarita, whose lead pastor just became a Patreon supporter. You can join him in supporting on Patreon by going to W. I'm just kidding. Uh, I've plugged that enough. Um, but uh, King's Cross in Rancho Santa Margarita uh, had people join the church while it was meeting virtually. And, and now they go to the in-person gatherings. <laughs> and that's awesome. I was ecstatic to hear that. And obviously it was like my version of ecstatic, which was probably like putting my hands in my pocket and nodding my head. But uh, it really was exciting to hear that God used that time to build some churches while others were falling down. Just a few miles away from that small church in Rancho Santa Margarita, down the street in Lake Forest is Saddleback Church, a mega church who are still to this day not meeting together according to their website. So I don't want to forecast any doom for that church, far be it from me, but let's just say I'm curious to see what that long-term closure is going to do to their membership, what it's going to do to the church as a whole. Meanwhile, King's Cross, a few miles down the road, is growing in numbers, and that's the great contrast of the good and the bad that God is bringing upon people in this situation.
maybe there will be some research on how many people came to faith during this trying time. Uh, I know at, at our church here in Oklahoma City, one person in our church just came to faith in the last week or two, and that was very exciting to hear her talk about that the very day that it happened. Think about public school. I know I've talked about this before, but it, it may have been a Patreon episode, so it bears repeating. But uh, I've become very passionate about Christian education over the last few years. And I, I think the thing that really got me thinking about it was uh, Vadi Bakum's quote that's been kind of reappropriated by all sorts of different groups now. I know libertarians like to use this one a lot, even though that's not the context of what he was saying. But he said, if you send your kids to Caesar for their education, don't be surprised when they come back as Romans. Well, the one branch of the state that probably is going to suffer in the long run because of the last year um, is public schooling. Uh, and by the way, not that they lost any money or that they will lose any money. Don't you worry about that. They're all still getting paid. I uh, can't help but think this is going to hurt public school in the long run in the sense that uh, they are not going to have the amount of kids enrolled in the future that they used to have. A lot of people have started homeschooling and pretty much everyone at one point or another was doing public school virtually, which isn't ideal, but it is one step closer to homeschooling. So I'll, I'll take what I can get. But, um, you know, it's if you read Murray Rothbard's Anatomy of the State, it's a very short booklet. Um, if you want to pick it up, it's like 65 pages. I'm seriously telling everyone to read that because it's so short and cheap and it'll take you an hour to read that thing. And then you'll be an anarchist just like me when you're done with it. Uh, but in one section, he talks about uh, why the state wants so much control over the education system. Well, it seems obvious that the shaping of young minds is a valuable thing for a regime, but uh, the reality is is that they, they have to do that in order to keep existing. Like, they need statist, naturalist, anti-religious people in this country in order to keep the state going. <laughs> because how else to do that besides controlling everything you're taught from the youngest possible age? You know, like if, if people, if everyone was homeschooled and they weren't taught from the earliest age, not only that their education is the most important thing in the world and the government has to provide it, but that, uh, you know, maybe other things the government provides aren't that essential. You know, maybe if you're taught from the earliest age that, uh, you know, the government's not essential in a generation, we might have, you know, people who, you know, we might have millions of people who just choose not to pay their taxes because... Well, I mean, it's kind of non-essential. So, I mean, if we all don't do it, they're not going to punish us all. And just like that, you know, the state has kind of become useless. Like, like you know, if people just chose not to obey this stuff en masse, it, it wouldn't happen anymore. Um, so, you know, the, the reality is, is that the state has to shape young minds in order just to get revenue. Like, in order to just get the votes and just get the revenue, they have to be on top of people from the earliest stage possible and controlling the way that they think about things. That's, uh, you know, I, I wasn't planning on going on a political rant, but I mean, almost anyone you say, uh, you know, I don't believe in government, just take like the most, you know, the most extreme, like Ron Swanson kind of uh, statement you can think of. Just say like, oh yeah, uh, I think Ron Swanson once said, uh, 
I, I agree with you. Government is inefficient and should be dissolved. If you just say that, you know, immediately, no, nobody can help but just say like, well, I mean, we, we need it for some things. And it's like, yeah, that that's the way brainwashed people react. That's That's the way people who are taught from the earliest age possible that this is reality, that's how they react to, to extreme statements like that. So, I mean, just now imagine all these kids homeschooling or doing school on Zoom, uh, you know, or even finding easier ways to have, like, private Christian school. And now, you know, everyone realizes, like, hey, this isn't impossible. And, and look, if we need to take the day off from school, we can just, you know, go have a family day or whatever the case may be. And we can actually pull this off and they're still getting educated. You know, maybe this one piece of the government isn't that necessary, you know. And if the educational side of government isn't necessary, what else isn't necessary? You know, so all that to say, we're probably entering a period in history where homeschooling is a lot more common, which means there will be a lot more resources to make it practical, supply and demand. And this is going to strengthen the church because the odds are a lot better that being taught a Christian education from an early age and, you know, being taught to think more for yourself will result in a generation of stronger faith. Not to mention a generation who takes the government just a little less seriously than the one before. And I think we can all agree that that's a good thing. So there are other things I could point to in this situation to prove that it, it isn't all bad. I, I know by listening to me, you may get that impression. And believe me, if I haven't made it clear on the show before, uh, there is nothing about mandated totalitarianism or forcing people to wear masks and forcing people not to see their families for the holidays. There's nothing about that that should make you giddy or make you skip down the street. Okay, so don't misunderstand me. I think you all understand where I'm coming from on that. However, we are supposed to take joy in the fact that God uses everything for our good and everything he does in general is good. It just might hurt. His kingdom is always expanding, even if it doesn't look like it. We can look all day at the negative side of people being forced not to go to church, and there are indeed negatives to that, but we can also look at the pruning effect that it's had on the church. You know, um, we can look at a church like King's Cross that actually gained members when they were forced to, to be virtual. And, you know, and I also think about John MacArthur, who after a month or two, maybe, I don't know, two or three months maybe, uh, finally just said, you know what? Yeah, we're having church. And, you know, you don't have to show up. He didn't force anyone to come, but it's like, yeah, you don't have to wear a mask. Like, we're just going to have church. And, uh, you know, I don't know. It, it forced some people to nut up, and I, I don't hate that. Uh, so not to mention that we, we don't know all the ways that God is going to use this period. You know, there, there could be good things coming that we don't we can't even think of yet because they're just not even on our radar. Now, what I don't want you to hear is me preaching at you because I need to hear this, too. Uh, you're correct if you feel there have been moments where I haven't acted very optimistic about this stuff. But we always have to come back around to what's true. What is reality? And Isaiah says, Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. His peace will increase without end, and his kingdom will increase without end. So that's it for today. That's all I got. You want to do another royal psalm next week? I couldn't. Uh, this week I was trying to decide between 99 and 29, or both. 
and I ended up doing 99. So maybe we should do 29 next week. I don't know. Uh, don't have a plan yet. Let me know if you have an opinion. Thanks again to our new patron, Chris Pobletti, and I'll talk to you again next week. episodes i could just feel it it's one of those episodes where i'm not gonna be able to say anything right